Welcome again. If you're uh, watching online, we'd like to welcome you as well to our teaching as we begin this new series, This Not That. Six things in life that are good that may be keeping you from God's best. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, it's human nature to, um, to doubt. It's human nature to feel inadequate, to feel inferior. And whether that uh, be us who are sitting here thinking that uh, you can't possibly want to bless us and, and uh, what difference is our life making anyway or, or whether it's the, the teacher in front of us uh, who has doubts about his ability to uh, deliver a message worth your time. Lord, bless us all in my teaching that it would be honorable, that it would be faithful, and in our hearing that it would be open to your prompting and to your leading, we pray in Christ. Amen. Well, today as we talk about uh, this, not that, uh, the good things that may be keeping us from God's best things, uh, you may be inclined to recall the book that Jim uh, Collins has written uh, called uh, From Good to Great. He sold millions of copies of that book, and you might think, well, we're following his teaching, when in fact, I think uh, teaching that really hits home with, with people uh, is a teaching that has uncovered a truth of God. So I think it's just the opposite of, of us following a, a business model, or rather a business model who's discovered something that God has uh, made to be true in our world. Uh, Collins wrote in his book, Good is the enemy of great. And that is the one key reason why we have so little great. We don't have great schools, Primarily because we have good schools. We don't have a great government principally because we have a good government. And few people attain greatness in life in large because it's just so easy to settle for good in life. And if he's discovered that to be true in society, how much more for Christians who have the wealth of God's greatness available to us. But before I unpack this message, and with some fear and trepidation that I might distract and, and uh, block you from hearing uh, God's message on that subject, I just got to say to you that I, I feel prompted over these past few weeks uh, by events that are occurring in the world to just call you to prayer and to call your attention uh, to uh, spiritual activism, not political activism, but spiritual activism. Uh, you no doubt have seen the, the reports of what's happening in the world and how ISIS is uh, uh, you know, radical uh, Muslim theology, extreme uh, distortion of, of their faith, uh, has uh, declared a spiritual jihad against people of any other faith, not just Christians, but Jewish people as well as we saw in France. And, and uh, the evil that is being perpetuated in the world is overwhelming. You know, I, I think back, I'm a bit of a student of history, I think back to World War II and what was going on in Nazi Germany and how the world, you know, hesitated to act. Again, I'm not urging any political activism here, but I am urging spiritual activism on our part, and I'm calling this church uh, to spiritual prayer. In fact, in the scripture, there is something called the imprecatory psalms. Uh, these are psalms of David that call God to deal with evil in the world and call him to deal with it in the most severe way. There are 14 different psalms that fall under that category. 
and I encourage you to uh, Google that and, and read some of these psalms and pray some of these songs over this condition in the world. Uh, imprecatory uh, comes from the word, the verb uh, imprecate, which means to pray against evil or to invoke God's judgment upon another. Uh, David, in the strongest terms, asked God to stamp out evil. Now, there are different ways that could be accomplished if they would convert and, and come to understand the error of their ways, as we have seen and people come to faith, then that would be awesome. But if not, then, Lord, remove them from the face of the earth. In Psalm 5, uh, two verses, just the first of the imprecatory Psalms, David says, Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. And while calling God's judgment upon them, he also prays for the faithful who endure. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. I think there's a danger in America, in West County, St. Louis, and in a church service like this, where we don't fear being snatched off the street and being made a martyr that we say, well, that's not our problem. When in fact, these are brothers and sisters of faith. It is our problem. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we do, as David did, call your judgment upon evil in this world. And we ask, Lord, that you would show your hand mighty and that you would uh, uh, protect those who need your protection, that you would uh, end the evil uh, of those who perpetuate evil. Uh, We pray this in the holy and precious and powerful name of Jesus. The Bible says, do not take your own revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. You say to pray and to turn it over to God is doing nothing. I don't believe that. I believe turning it over to God is doing something strong and powerful. Now, if I can, let me jerk your attention back to the theme for today as we deal with this, not that. Uh, God's intention that we would not let the good of life rob us from the great of life. Uh, That's our theme for this series. And today we want to talk about uh, how sometimes settling for conditions as they exist might keep us from enjoying the abundance that God intends. And I think as a theme for the entire series, we could look at John chapter 10, verse 10. I have the verse uh, here, but let me read the whole context. Jesus said, Verily I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but my sheep won't listen to them. You know, the idea that there are different messages out there, but God's people listen to God's voice. I am the gate. And when you think about a gate, uh, you know, I am the entranceway to all that God intends for you. Uh, If you enter through this gate, you will be saved, which is ultimately our goal. But he goes on to say, and you will go out and find good pasture. So until that day that we realize our salvation in fullness, we also want the good pasture of this life, the abundance of this life. And then he says, everyone else, every other voice comes only for its own purpose, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, fullness of life, not settling for what the world offers, but desiring the abundance that God offers. This past week was uh, President's Day, 
uh, on Monday. And uh, we as a nation uh, uh, stop. Some of us have time off. Some of us don't. Uh, but we at least stop and acknowledge uh, these men who refuse to settle. And I have before you uh, a number of them. Uh, although they were quite human and quite common and had their own uh, proclivities, uh, their own idiosyncrasies, their own clay feet, uh, yet they rose to greatness. George Washington was uh, shy in front of people, largely because uh, he had no teeth. In fact, when he was inaugurated president, he had one tooth. And so he hardly ever spoke. He, he uh, was a man of few words. In fact, when he was elected, the only man ever unanimously elected by the Electoral College on the first vote, uh, his speech was so short because of his embarrassment to be in front of people, it was 133 words. I've spoken more than that already. It lasted for two minutes. And yet uh, he rose from common to great in the minds of many. John Quincy Adams was the son of John Adams, the sixth president of these United States, a peculiar man, uh, great as an ambassador uh, to the world, but he did some strange things in Washington. In fact, every day he swam nude in the Potomac River, you know, as part of uh, his uh, health routine. Andrew Jackson uh, was a man of uh, severe passions, uh, even anger, uh, fits of rage. Uh, he got involved in several duels. At age 39, he shot another man in a duel uh, who made an insult to his wife, uh, killed him on the spot. He himself was also shot and carried a bullet next to his heart the rest of his days. You know, these are men of common issues who rose above them to become what we would consider great. Millard Fillmore had no formal education, uh, he was uh, uh, born in a, a log cabin, the first of our presidents born in a log cabin. Uh, he was so insecure about his education that he was once, because he was president of the United States, uh, granted an honorary doctorate from Cambridge University, which he refused to accept because it was written in Latin. He said, I don't think anyone should receive a degree they can't read. <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant, of course, was the president and the great war general of the Civil War, uh, fought in some of the bloodiest campaigns and was finally the general that Lincoln had prayed for, uh, and, and yet he graduated at the bottom, uh, the, the lower half of his West Point class. Uh, despite the fact that he waded through some of the bloodiest campaigns in the war, raw steak made him nauseous. <laughs> He was a great horseman. Uh, he was arrested and uh, given a ticket as president for driving more than 20 miles an hour in Washington, D.C. He smoked 20 cigars a day, which might explain why he died of throat cancer. Theodore Roosevelt uh, was frail as a child, uh, asthma, yet born into a wealthy family. And, and yet, uh, uh, you know, a man of uh, great passion. In fact, he boxed. Uh, for uh, exercise in the White House and lost sight in one eye doing that. Uh, they said he, was, uh, he had such an unhealthy desire for attention uh, that every wedding he went to, he wanted to be the bride. And every funeral he went to, he wanted to be the corpse. You know, he was so consumed with attention. Uh, just some others here. Calvin Coolidge called Silent Cal. Uh, Calvin needed nine hours of sleep every night, and then he took a nap in the afternoon for two to four hours. Uh, he was a man of few words, hardly ever spoke. In fact, he overheard a conversation before a formal dinner where a woman said to his wife, I bet I can get your husband to say three words to me. He overheard the conversation before he sat down and he leaned in her ear and said, you lose. <laughs> Gerald Ford uh, was not born Gerald Ford. In fact, he was uh, joined, uh, uh, born Leslie 
King Jr. He was an adopted president. Uh, he was never elected to office, uh, uh, never elected to the presidency. Uh, he and his wife Betty were actually uh, fashion models for Cosmopolitan and Look Magazine. Uh, he became vice president when Spiro Agnew resigned. He became president when Richard Nixon resigned. And when he ran on his own terms, uh, he was beaten by Bill Clinton. So he never actually was elected to the office. Ronald Reagan, of course, was uh, our oldest uh, president. I don't know that you know this about him, but he was voted best male figure by the University of California. They didn't have that award when I went to school. Otherwise, I might have become president of the United States. I don't know. Uh, he made his reputation in the movies and was uh, famous for 50-some different movies and uh, eventually became president of these United States. Let me wrap this up. Other common people, H.W. Uh, Herman Walker Bush Sr., uh, interesting guy, uh, president of these United States. Uh, but what he might both be remembered for is the day that he threw up on the prime minister of Japan. In fact, they, call, uh, they have a word in Japanese now called bushishuru, which actually means do the bush thing uh, or throw up in public. That's, what they, that's how he's remembered. Uh, uh, William Jefferson Clinton uh, was, of course, also president of these United States, uh, was called Bubba in Arkansas, still to this day, they're called that, the youngest Arkansas governor, uh, uh, made his uh, name and made his uh, attitude towards public by playing saxophone in a, in a band, and they wore heavy, dark glasses and called themselves the Three Blind Mice. This guy over here, Barack Obama, of course, is our current president of these United States, they say he's a closet smoker. Uh, many of our presidents and their wives were. Jackie Kennedy was a, a chain smoker. She always had one of her assistants uh, in the wings smoking a cigarette so she could walk over and take a draw without ever being seen. Uh, Barack Obama uh, also will not eat ice cream because he served ice cream as a child uh, for a long time. And uh, he is a strange collector of things like Conan the Barbarian and Spider-Man uh, comic books. Maybe you didn't know that. And yet they rose above their proclivities to become great in the sight of others. Well, we're not here so much to figure out how to be political savvy and how to uh, rise in the political world. We're here to know how can we achieve the abundance that God intends for his children. Let's read today's lesson from Matthew chapter 15 beginning at verse 21. A story of Jesus when he had gone to a distant land outside the country of Israel. We begin with verse 21. So Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity, a pagan, non-Jewish woman, came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, interesting that she called him by his messianic title, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But Jesus would not answer her a word. So his disciples came up behind him and they urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying after us. She's a nuisance, Lord. Get rid of her. Dismiss her. He answered to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. No longer tugging at his garment, no longer following behind, but actually kneeling in front of him. Lord, help me, she pleaded. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
Yes, Lord, it is. She said, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. So what's the key to rising above your circumstance, no matter what it is? The first is that, that no one is more or less worthy to ask a favor of God. Seems simple, but I think we need to think on that a minute. No one is more worthy to expect a favor from God, and no one, believer or non, is less worthy to receive a favor from God. Let's look at these verses again. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman, a, you know, a um, Gentile woman, came from that vicinity crying out to him. This was the farthest that Jesus would ever stray from the holy city of Jerusalem. Tyre and Sidon was extremely far to the northwest of Palestine, outside of the boundaries of Israel. We don't know why he went there. The context would suggest that he was tired of arguing with the religious leaders who were always trying to trap him, always trying to debate him uh, about his uh, uh, lordship, uh, about his authority, uh, about his uh, uh, popularity. Or perhaps it was to teach his disciples something about the fact that he was not just Savior and Messiah of the Jews, but was actually the Savior and the Messiah of the entire world. The scripture doesn't tell us. We merely speculate why he went so far. This was the region of uh, Queen Jezebel, probably the most wicked queen of all the Old Testament. She was from the city of uh, Tyre in Sidon. And uh, she brought false uh, gods and and altars to be worshipped other than the true God and placed them in the temple during the Old Testament, she and her husband Ahab were some of the most wicked people who ever ruled in Israel. She was from this region. And Jesus goes into this region. There are lessons for two types of people uh, found in, in just the place where Jesus goes that isn't only geographically far removed from the things of the Jewish faith, but also is theologically far removed from the things of the Jewish faith. First, he wants to speak a word to those who believe that somehow they have special privilege or special favor or some reason to expect that God will especially listen to them. And secondly, he has a message for those who feel that they are so far from God that they cannot be loved or have any expectation. First and foremost, we should know that despite our piety, despite our dedication, despite our service, despite our sacrifice, that gives us no leg up on seeking God's grace, which by definition is undeserved. And then secondly, I think all of us struggle with insecurities. You know, I know every time that I get up here, I think, who are you that, that you think that you have anything to say to these people? You struggle in your own life, and yet this is what God would have me do. And so I, I pray that, you know, God will refresh my soul and help me bathe in his grace. The music before worship is always so meaningful for that reason. And I pray it is for you as well as you prepare your soul to hear from the Lord that he loves you. He cares for you no matter what your past, no matter what your failure, no matter what your track record. The Lord desires to enter into your life. 
believer or non-believer, the Lord desires a relationship with you. Personal worthiness that gives you the privilege of asking God a favor is a lie. There's no such thing as personal worthiness before the Lord. We all come as beggars, as this woman who was a pagan outside of the faithful came and begged from the Lord for his favor. Secondly, Jesus gave his disciples an opportunity to demonstrate faith in God's favor, to rise above good enough. And one of the means by which God would have us realize his abundance is to be useful in his service so that not for us, but rather through us, God might accomplish incredible things and we also benefit from that experience. Scripture makes it clear that uh, they did not recognize the opportunity. Jesus did not answer the woman a word. It isn't because Jesus... uh, wanted to demonstrate her unworthiness. It was that Jesus was echoing uh, the philosophy and the thinking of the faithful of that day. And I would say even the faithful of today, no doubt. You know, who believe that uh, some people are unworthy to ask of God. So he answered her not a word. And Jesus said, and the disciples came and said, send her away for she's crying out after us. And she has no claim on you. You know, I like to listen to Christian music, not all the time. I listen to other things as well. But uh, Matthew West is out there, one of my favorite Christian artists, uh, who sings a song about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness to free not only those who are forgiven, but especially those who forgive. He has another song called Do Something that's pretty powerful today. And I thought about it as I thought about the disciples saying, Lord, just send her away. She's imposing on our time. She's making everybody uncomfortable. She has no claim on you. In the song Do Something, uh, Matthew West in his lyrics says, I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Thought, how do we ever get down so far? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold in slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. It's a privilege to do something, to make a difference. And in that doing There is an abundance that you will recognize and you will feel that you can have no other way. Not ask for things for yourself, but be useful to the Lord to do for others. That's why I love this church. That's why I'm so proud to be a pastor in this church and proud to even sit where you sit and listen to Pastor Garrett when he teaches or experience the worship, you know, from your position. This is a church that pushes. This is a church who has high expectation. In fact, we've been talking to some marketing people about, you know, stepping out and and having a bigger voice in our community. And they said, well, how would you describe your church? Would you describe it as a warm and caring place? I said, well, it's not what comes to mind immediately. We're an edgy church. We're a church that has expectation. 
We're a church that does things in Cambodia, in the city, and in other places. And I'm proud to be a part of a church like that. Yes, we care for each other. We urge that you do that. Not that you expect the church that makes you the focus of your attention. I doubt that any of you believe that. But that's okay. You know, we encourage you to experience the abundance of God from being useful in the hands of God. He gave the disciples that opportunity. And the disciples passed on it. And as a result, I think they passed on a great blessing that God intended for them to experience. And then thirdly, Jesus tested the resolve of that Canaanite woman's faith. Let's read what it has to say. It says, he told her, at first I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She believed that. The disciples believed that. And so Jesus was just vocalizing what everyone believed. The woman came and said, Lord, just, you know, I'm not making any claims here. Just help me. I need assistance. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, Lord, you know that's not true. Even dogs get the biscuit that the master throws from the table. She didn't make any claims that she wasn't as bad as people thought. She didn't make any claims that she was as good as the others who trailed along behind him. There was no claim that I'm better than you think or I'm as good as someone else. I don't know if you catch the news, but uh, recently I was uh, interested. I I love watching how human nature plays out uh, in news stories. uh, That there was a Little League team in Chicago that was stripped of its uh, national title. Did you see that? Because they recruited uh, young guys to play on their team who were outside of their area, outside of their region. And in the story I saw, uh, a pastor, he had a clerical on, I don't know if he's a priest or a Christian pastor of some kind, he had one of the team shirts on, he had pulled over his collar, and he was speaking for the team, and he said, he goes, if they remove the title from this team, I hope that they investigate every other team's roster to make sure they also play by the rules. I thought, how sad that you would use your clerical to make such a point. That maybe we cheated, but other people cheat too. So we ought to be given our award. This woman made no claim that she was as good as anybody else. She said, Lord, not because of who I am, not because of how other people are, but because of who you are, that you and your kindness even toss." A biscuit to a dog. And who doesn't do that? Who could turn down a dog's sad eyes? Lord, because you're that kind of savior, help me. Great faith is the key to great blessing. Jesus said after putting her through all of that and turning her away and and still she persisted saying, even if I am a dog, you are kind even to dogs. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. She was tenacious in her faith, making no claims except in the goodness of God, the Savior, who would die on the cross for her and for everyone else. You know, just understanding the nature of God to love people far from him and to desire a relationship with all people, not just those who are religious, but those who are irreligious, that they too might experience his abundance 
the pastures that he intends for his sheep to graze in and the salvation that he intends for all people. Uh, in the scripture, there's a, a common parable that Jesus tells seven different times. It's about a mustard seed. And he says uh, in the Gospel of Mark, What shall I say that God's attitude is like or the kingdom of God is like? What parable, what story can I, can I share with you to help you understand how God thinks and what God wants? It's like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds on the earth. Just a dot. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants. With branches so great that birds can perch in its shade. You know, we are nothing. Hardly noticeable. But in the hands of God, blessed by God, we can receive not only sufficiency for ourselves but abundance for every good thing. Why would you settle for what you deserve? Why would you settle for what you and your human ability can achieve? Why would you settle to be as good as someone else? Why would you settle for your present condition when the key to abundance is the truth that No one of us is more or less worthy to ask a favor of God. When the key to abundance is the commitment to do something for others and not pass on that opportunity, why would you settle when you know that the master likes to throw a biscuit to a dog from the table? Exercising great faith, despite how others make you feel, or despite what you have been taught to expect. Why would you settle? Amen. We pray. Lord, help us in the example of this uh, pagan, Gentile, Canaanite, all the negative words I can ascribe to her, woman, demonstrated simple and abiding, tenacious faith and received your praise. Lord, we make no claim except your nature to throw a crumb to a dog. And if that be our status in life, Lord, we claim nothing except your grace, nothing except your favor, nothing except your heart to love and to desire to save and to lead us to green pasture. Give us such confidence as this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.